0: So Hi, my name is Susie. I'm the lead pastor at New Philly. I, I see a lot of familiar faces and a lot of new faces, uh, so it's always a good thing. It means that the church is growing. I see so many families. This is really, really amazing. Uh, I myself don't have kids, but I love other people's kids uh, because you get to spoil them and then you give them back to the parents um, and then you move on with your life. And so I really love this atmosphere that you guys have here as as a community together. Um, yeah, as Pastor Caleb said, I meant to come here like almost a year ago, actually. It was the first time that I tried. And so after a while, I was like, every time I try to come down, I guess COVID breaks out. And so I should stop trying to come until things settle a little bit. But yes, last time I was here was actually pre-pandemic. This is my first time in this sanctuary here, and it's a really gorgeous space that you guys have. So homey and so warm. So thank you for, for welcoming me here. Thank you for having me. Um, this is my first time meeting from uh, many of you, but um, I hope that we still feel like family. You know, we have New Philly and, and uh, Seoul. We have New Philly here, but we're all still one uh, community. So it's always, you know, good to be with family, even if it's extended family. Um, As Pastor Caleb said, my name is Susie. I am born and raised, actually, in Chile, in literally the opposite side of the world from here. And so I connected with Melvin, who speaks Spanish from Guatemala. That was awesome. Uh, Spanish is also my first language. And so, um, yes, I was born and raised in Chile. I lived in the States for a few years during, like, college and seminary. And then I moved here to Korea like around 2011, never thinking that I would actually live here. <laughs> I was just coming here for like, oh, I'll be here for a year, maybe, like save up, teach a little bit, and like who knows. And I find myself here 10 years later, and this is my home. I don't know how many of your stories are kind of like that as well. But yes, long story short, uh, for the last three years, I've been serving as lead pastor here in New Philly, and it's been quite a ride. It's been actually, you know, a, a very... Complicated history, as, as it is with many families, you know, when you marry into a family, there's like complicated history there. And so there's been a lot that has actually happened here at New Philly. And uh, today I am going to be preaching on our church vision statement. So what we believe in as a church, what embodies, uh, like the, the, the way that we relate to God, we relate to one another, the assignment that we have, uh, from God, uh, as a church, and so I'm going to be preaching on that, but I do want to say that for many years at New Philly, we did have a different vision statement. I don't know if uh, some old school people here might remember, New Philly's vision statement used to be raising up an army. New Philly, New Philadelphia Church was known as raising up an army, and for many years, that really embodied the kind of mystery, uh, mystery, mi- ministry <laughs> that, um, that we took a part in. We, you know, took this to heart and we said, we are soldiers for Christ. We're going to take this seriously, you know, and we're going to give it our all. And that was the way that we lived out our faith. Uh, but over many years, this really proved to be very fruitful. And on the other side, um, I know that part of the way that we went a bit astray was that uh, we started to, you know, kind of lose the joy lose the intimacy, lose the part that is you know tender towards God, because we're so fixated on being an army, we lost that relational part with God. And so about three years ago, when we went through major transition, that was when we had to kind of regroup, we had to sit down, talk things out, pray through, and ask ourselves a question. Are we still, New Philadelphia Church, raising up an army, or is God calling us to something different in this season? And so after much prayer, after much deliberation, a lot of conversations back and forth, honestly a lot of working through our past and our triggers and all of that, we finally landed on a vision statement, and that is calling all to the feast. You guys are just talking about Thanksgiving and making me all jealous and stuff? You guys are going to have a feast here just in a few weeks. Christianity and what we've been called to do here as a church is calling all to this feast that hasn't been prepared by Caleb or Morgan, but it's been prepared by the Father for every believer. And so this is our vision statement as a church. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Verses 11 through 32. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. It's a very familiar passage. Luke 15, verses 11 through 32, and I'm going to go, I'm going to read through it very slowly in the ESV, so if you could just follow along with me. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. These many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. So for many of us who have grown in the church, this is actually a very, very familiar passage, right? We've heard multiple, you know, preaching on it and even songs. Today we sang a song that I felt like related to it as well. This is a, this is a passage that is so over familiar to us that often we gloss over Uh, gloss over the message behind it. It might be a bit overplayed, but my desire is that God today would open up the scriptures to us afresh and give us fresh revelation into what it means to be invited to feast afresh on God. Now, I don't know about you guys. Uh, how many of you guys have, um, siblings? Most people have, okay, most people have siblings. Cool. How many of you guys are the eldest of your siblings? okay okay that's a good number how about the youngest you. <laughs> okay that doesn't that that's that's a sign right there how about somewhere in the middle you're like a middle child or somewhere in the middle okay cool cool okay we're in good company good I myself, I'm I'm a middle child. Um, I don't know if you can tell. I have an older brother and a younger brother as well. I am the only daughter, which kind of helped in in growing up. But I am a middle child. And when I read this passage, sometimes I wonder which of these two siblings I most relate to. You know, one is kind of like the stiff... Elder son who's a goody two shoes and kind of does everything that his parents ask and they never protest. And then you have the kind of free willed younger one who gets their way with their parents, who gets to you know gets in trouble but never really you know gets in real trouble with his parents. Um, and when I read this, you know, I think maybe being a middle child, I can kind of relate to both in a little ways. Because for me, I know that I am a middle child and I'm not an elder uh, uh, sibling, but growing up, I was a goody two shoes. I am like really straight laced. I never got into the bad things. I never got into a bad crowd. You know, my biggest, you know, um, act of rebellion in my entire life was to go into full-time ministry. That was my biggest act of rebellion. Other than that, I obeyed everything that my parents said. I was a very good girl growing up. And so, you know, I was a teacher's pet. I like played piano in my church choir growing up. I taught kids. I was, you know, you know, you always had like a friend, uh, and your parents would always compare you to that friend. I was that friend, basically. Like, why can't you be more like that? You know, that person. I was that person to many of my friends, and I hated it. Right? Now, none of these things are bad. None of them are inherently bad. In fact, I really do think that part of my testimony is part of God's keeping grace. He actually kept me from a lot of things that could have gone wrong in my life. And I tried, really, my best to be a good person growing up. But there was a part of me that would come out when somebody else was being, quote-unquote, unfairly favored. Like, for example... Like, I studied all night for a test, and somebody else didn't, and somebody else was slacking off, somebody else stole my notes, whatever. And, you know, come test time, I would get a, a good grade, which is good, but then this other friend who work, who didn't work for it would get unmerited favor or grace. And there's a part of me that wasn't just satisfied with getting a grade, good grade. I was like, I want to be the only one getting the good grade here. How come they also get a good grade. There was a part of me that was, this is not fair. I worked my butt off. You did it. How come you're still getting the same grade that I am? So I felt defended when other people would receive grace. I felt like somebody beneath me was being put on equal footing with me. Does it make sense? So like, ah oh, man, I, I deserve more than this person, and yet they're being given grace. This is so unfair. There's a part of me that would come out in moments like that. Now, I know that I relate a lot to the elder son, but there are some ways in which I do relate to the younger son as well. Because there's a part in me somewhere deep inside that says good equals boring. Right? And bad it's fun. Like there's a part of me very deep inside where, man, like I want to be a good person, but it means I need to resign myself to living a really boring life. You know, like oh, the life of a Christian, like, oh, it's kind of like, it's good, but it's not fun. You know, I feel like people outside the church might have a little bit more fun than I will ever get to. And so there's a part of me that equates those things. I think good is boring and bad. In some ways, it's a lot of fun. And there's a part of me that thinks that. I, you know, I feel like there's parts in me that when people say, hey, like you are, but you're just a girl, you know, and when, when people like underestimate everything and he's like, well, I'm going to prove them wrong and I'm really going to, you know, do my part. I'm really going to succeed. And that's a, that's a younger son part of me where I feel like I have to prove myself over and over and over again. And so I really relate with with that resentment and that anger that led this younger son also to leave. It's almost like I am the younger son minus the guts it took to run away, right? If I had guts, I probably would have run away. But that same younger son is still in me. It's somewhere deep inside in me. Now, the way that we think about this parable and we think about, okay, the elder son and the younger son, we think of them as polar opposites, don't we? We see. We imagine the older son. If we were to think about the older son today, they would probably be in a very successful job. They would have a big family. They would be putting money towards their retirement. They would call their parents on holidays. They would, you know, serve at at you know in a homeless shelter. They'll be living a very particular kind of life. And then when you think about the younger son, you're like, well, if it was today, they'll probably have like a few tattoos, a few piercings. Like they don't have any long-term relationships. They have like these really short spurts, like, you know, jumping from job to job. They probably don't have any permanent place to, to live in. That's how we picture them. We picture them as complete opposites. But what we find in this parable is actually that they're a lot more similar than we think. They're actually a lot more similar than we think. We think of them as like they have nothing to do with each other. I can't believe they're even related. But they're actually a lot more similar than we think. Because as different as they are, here's the truth. They both resented the Father. They just acted out in different ways. But they both resented the Father. One felt like, man, the Father's holding me back. The father is keeping things from me. My best shot at happiness is to go as far away from the father as I can. And that was his form of resentment. That was the younger son. Now the elder son still resented his father, even though he'd never left. His thought was, man, the father is always holding out on me. He never throws me a party. He never appreciates the work that I do. I'm going to stay here and still inside. I'm still going to resent him. Like, he is the reason why I'm suffering. He's the reason why I'm slaving away. He doesn't even see the work that I do. And deep inside him, he was just like the younger brother, except he never left his home. They were both acting not as sons. They were both acting as servants. Both of them didn't understand that this was their father who had never kept anything from them. And so when we think about this parable although they're two different kinds of people, we must understand that all of us have a little bit of this younger son in us. There's a part in us that says, the father is stifling. Like, being close to God is like, it means that he's always going to rain on my party, he's going to be a buzzkill, he's going to be a party pooper, I'm never going to get away with anything. Man, like... Well, you know, when growing up, did you guys ever do this? Um, did you ever threaten your parents with running away? Right? And you're like, I have had, like as a five year old or something, I have had it. I am going. I'm leaving. And you're never going to see me again. And I'm going to pack my stuffed toys in my bag. And, you know, I'm going to run away far away. And you're going to be sorry. And in your mind, you think, like, oh, man, they're going to be so sorry. They're going to wish they treated me better. It was like, that. Right? You guys didn't do that. I, I, did, I definitely did that all the time. And I was like, they're going to be sorry. Man, they're going to cry. They're going to miss me. But I'm going to say no. I'm better off without any kind of like fantasize about these things. You know, I hope many of us have outgrown that stage, right? We, I hope none of us think that way. But how often have we secretly thought that happiness and fulfillment and success and true calling is far away from the Father? Like, like, like He's just holding you back. Like, man, He's just stifling me. I think my real self and my free self would be it's just somewhere out there far away from the Father and many uh, times when we've repented before God it hasn't been because of this realization like wow I really sinned I really messed up hardcore I need to go back uh, to the Father how many times have we res- repented not because we've grieved God but because we've actually reaped the consequences of our sin Right? We have reaped the consequences of our wrongdoing. Our sins have caught up with us. Our lives have gone into a tailspin. And only then we've realized, man, I think I need God. Man, I think I need to go back to where I used to be. And this is what happens with a younger son. But many of us, many of us think and feel the same way. Man, if the younger brother had never, think about this question, if the younger brother had never run out of money, would he ever have gone back to the father? You think about it? If he had like money forever and ever, and the party would go on forever and ever and his friends would be, you know going forever, would he ever have gone to the point of desperation? And he said, "You know what? I think I need to go back to the father." So even this younger son, although we think of him as like, truly repentant and all of that, really, what brought him back to the father's house was simply his stomach. He was hungry. It wasn't this true sense of repentance. It was just, Oh my gosh, I'm hungry. These pigs are eating better than I am. You know what? It's better off that I just go back there and just say my part and play, you know, play their repentant shtick and then, you know, get admitted back as a servant. At least that's better than being envious of what this pig is eating. And so it wasn't even true repentance that led him back. And yet the father invited him and welcomed him back. And many of us, although we don't like to admit it, sometimes operate in that same way as well. It's only when our sins have caught up to us. Only when we've reached the end of our rope. Only when we've self-sabotaged. And we realize, oh man, like I think I was better off there. I was better off with the Father. And only then do we turn. Many of us operate in that way. Now, this is the rebellious son. But in other ways, we are also like the religious son, the, the elder son. This, this is a going to a far-off land, quote-unquote, in a more subtle way. Because did he know you can actually stay at home, but be in a far-off country in your heart? You can actually play the part. You can actually say the things that you're meant to say. Play, you know, this, you know, oh, I'm a good, dutiful son. And yet your heart be just as far away from the father as that younger brother was. It's possible to never run away from home and yet your heart be distant from the Father. You begin to get hard hearted. You begin to feel used. You begin to feel unappreciated. You begin to feel overlooked. You secretly resent the attention that other troublemakers are getting and you think they're getting away with it somehow, you begin to just go through the motions and live this life, knowing that like you need to play a part, and yet your heart is just so distant and so far away. This kind of lostness is just as bad, but much harder to pinpoint, much harder to diagnose than this younger son rebellious kind of far-off heart, Because it is so surreptitious, like it's very stuffed inside, very hidden inside. Because for this elder brother, quote-unquote, being good wasn't a joy anymore. It had stopped being a joy a long time ago. Staying with the Father and laboring in the fields, it's not being done out of love. It's the price he has to pay in order for him to get his inheritance someday soon. It is what he begrudgingly does in order to actually get what he wants. He actually wants the very same thing that his brother wants. He's just going about it in a very different manner. He says to his father, you never gave me anything to celebrate with my friends. In that picture, nowhere is the father. Noah's like, can we celebrate together? None of that. It's like, I wanted to use your inheritance for myself. Exact same thing as a younger son telling, give me my inheritance now. It's exact same thing. So slaving away in his father's house was actually a means to an end. It was the price to pay. It was the due diligence that was required for him to get the very same thing he was accusing his younger brother of asking for. Although he was a full-fledged son, this older son was settling for being a servant as well he had never run away to come back in shame to live the life of a servant he was already living the life of a servant he never left and yet he was already a servant so the things that you know it's so easy to pinpoint these things when you're reading it and you're like oh this elder son you know so hard-hearted oh this younger son so rebellious but if we take a close look we're all like these two sons We all have this younger rebellious son in us. We all have this elder religious son in us as well. But here is the good news. Whether we're the elder son full of resentment or the younger son full of rebellion, we are all nonetheless invited to the father's table. Isn't it amazing? Both of them rebelled against him in different ways. Both of them insulted him, humiliated him in different ways, and yet they're both invited to the father's table. The father says, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. He says this to the elder son, and he says this through his actions to the younger son. When he puts a robe on him, a ring on his, you know, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, he's saying, all that is mine is yours. I'm never holding back anything from you. What kind of father would do that. What kind of father would receive both the rebellious and the religious in this way? When he looks at the younger son, he tells him, all I have is yours. My riches, my name, my authority, my status, all that is mine is yours. And when he goes to the elder son, even when the elder son publicly humiliates him by refusing to come into this party, He says, my son, all that I have is yours. You are my heart. You are my mind. I've never held back from you. My heart is tender towards you. To both his lost sons, he's saying, don't you know this? Have I not made it clear to you? Have I not shown you? Have I not made my heart and my intentions clear? You are my son's. Whether you act out in rebellion or religion, you're both my sons. I've, ne- I've never kept anything from you. I've not held anything good back from you. Whether you go off to a far country or stay here but keep your heart distant from me, you are my sons and all I have is yours. All that I have is yours. After the humiliation, all that I have is yours. After, you know, spitting in my face, all that I have is yours still. Man, if we just allow this gospel truth to impact our hearts, I believe that we would live a very different life. We'd be able to let go of these suspicions that the Father's either stifling us or He's holding out on us. We'd be able to uproot joyless service, half-hearted devotion, We'd be able to let go of hard-hearted religious activity that just puffs us up. We'd be able to step out of servanthood and into sonship, what it means to have a good father. We would let go of all these ways that we negotiate with God, all our negotiating, all our jostling, all all our competition, all our jealousy, all our resentment, all our unforgiveness. We'd be able to let go of all these things and step into the freedom the gospel. And that is the invitation for us. Because the point of this parable, it isn't oh, being the younger son type is better. At least he wasn't like stiff and angry and a goody two-shoes. And it's also not, well, being the elder brother is so much better. At least he didn't squander half of his father's property and had to come back begging for mercy. That's not the point. The whole point of this parable is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All need God's grace. All need the gospel. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no exceptions. I, as a pastor, I'm no exception. I still need the grace of God, for sure, every day. My title doesn't exempt me from this. It's not just something that I needed back when I got saved. I need God's grace today. I need his welcoming in today. I need to turn back to him Today, we all deserve to be stripped of our family title, our family robes, our family ring, and we all deserve to be left outside starving, reaping the consequences of our actions. We have all used the Father and, and offended the Father and publicly humiliated the Father, yet God in His mercy washed us of our sins, whether it be sins of religion or sins sins of rebellion, he restored us into right relationship, and he himself bore the full brunt of the cost of the offense. And instead of giving us as our sins deserve, he not only killed the fatted calf for us, you guys know that, right? He gave up his very own son for us. It wasn't this animal that he was sacrificing to celebrate the coming back of this wayward son. He killed his very own son to bring us back home. He gave up his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that we, you and I, would be restored. And the feast that awaits for us, both the rebellious and the religious, it isn't, uh, it isn't just a formality. It's the Father's way of celebrating that those who were dead are now alive. Those who were lost are now found. Those who are blind, they now can see. This is the feast that the Father has prepared for us. We didn't lift a finger to prepare for this feast. It was the Father. And one day, not too long from now, at the very end of our days, after a long journey towards the Father, we will one day sit at the Father's table. We will sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb that Revelation talks about, where there will be great rejoicing as we, God's sons and God's daughters, we reach our final destination. This is where we're all headed. This is our destiny. You and I, this is our destiny. We are headed to a celebration. We are headed to a feast. And so at New Philly, our church vision statement, once again, is calling all to the feast. It starts with us, right? Calling all to the feast. Now, I'm going to lay out just three different things that that... that. um that phrase encapsulates. I hope you can remember it. It's actually very easy. Great commandment, great commission, and great return. Those are three things, three aspects. Great commandment, great commission, and great return. Great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Great commandment. Go now to the nations. Go now. Make disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the great commandment, the great return. This is the return that we're all looking forward to as sons and daughters of God. Great commandment, great commission, and great return. Let me translate this into, quote-unquote, feasting terms, right? We feast on God together, we invite others to the feast, and we prepare our hearts for the ultimate end-times feast. We feast on God together, we invite others to the feast, and we prepare ourselves for the end times feast. When we talk about feasting on God together, this is my absolute, like, down-to-the-core conviction. I cannot stay faithful to God all the days of my life unless I'm feasting on Him. I don't have the willpower it takes To not deny God the moment things get hard if I am not enjoying Him. If there isn't a living, breathing relationship with Him. We are not called to be just followers. of We're called to be friends of God. We're called to be the beloved. We're called to have a living, breathing relationship. We're not relating to an idea or a philosophy or a do's and don'ts list. We're relating to a person. And we need to learn to enjoy this relationship that we're called into by God. It's this idea of feasting, of enjoying, of savoring a relationship with God. If there isn't that, I'm telling you, at best, your spiritual walk with the Lord will be short-lived. At best. You're going to try your hardest. But then the moment things get hard, the moment things get routine, the moment things get busy, you're going to ditch. And I know that because no one has that kind of self-discipline. No one. You know, when you think about, you're trying to not, imagine you're trying to diet, okay? And everything in your heart is like, I love pizza. Like... Pizza is just a thing of, like, it's, it's it's the best thing ever. It just melts in your mouth, and when there's good cheese and crust and the pepper, everybody wants pizza right now, right? I think I want pizza. But if everything in your heart's like, I love pizza, there's no way I'm giving up pizza, there's no way that you're going to let go of those things that you enjoy in order to embrace something that you don't. You have to learn to love salad. That's the only way out. You have to learn to love salad. If it's this like, oh man, I hate salad. Every day eating this salad. You have to learn to love salad. That's the only sustainable way for you to stay off of pizza. There's no other way. You don't have the self-discipline it takes to go on forever that way. There's going to be one day when you're like, I've had it. I hate salad. I'm going to have a pizza today. And you're going to have two pies of pizza. Like two whole pines to yourself. You're going to explode because that desire was never you uproot it from you. It was never replaced by a different kind of love. And in the same way, when we live this life and the glories and enjoyment of sin is just so beckoning. It's like so tempting. There's no way for you to resist that unless you learn to enjoy your relationship with God. There's no other way. You have to learn to... Obviously, the love of God is much better than salad. I don't really love salad very much myself. But unless we learn to love God more than we love sin, there is no way we're going to be able to walk with Him for the rest of our lives. There's just no way. And so we as Christians, we need to learn how to feast on God. It's not just a matter of obeying Him. Obedience, it will rise naturally out of a love and devotion for God. If you have a spouse, you know, you don't love doing the dishes. Nobody wakes up in the morning and is like, wow, I just can't wait to do the dishes. You love your spouse. That's the only thing that brings you to that kitchen and you clean those dishes. It's because you love your spouse. It isn't because you love doing dishes. And in the same way, when we want to live a righteous, godly life, we want to live and walk with the Lord all the days of our lives, it is that love for God that will drive us to do the things that we need to do. It is that affection for God that will lead us to stay on the path. It can't just be obedience. It can't just be self-discipline. Those things are so important, but those things alone don't have the power that it will require for you to live all your days walking with the Lord. And so you have to learn to feast on God. That is the point of us gathering here. When we worship together, it isn't like, oh, I'm going to sing some well-known songs and just look at the lyrics. It is this invitation. Come sing, rejoice, testify that God is good. It is an invitation to feast on God, and that is why we worship. If you hadn't shown up to, I know that this is a little bit controversial, if you hadn't shown up to church today, you know that you'd be just as saved. You know that, right? You'd be just as saved, right? Yeah? Coming to, you being here at this time at 3.04, oh, 4.12 p.m. on a Sunday, it, this is not what saves you. You know that, right? This is not making you holier. You know that. The reason why we come here is because of what God has done in our lives. We have to celebrate. We have to come together. We have to commune around the word. We have to testify to what God has done. We have to grow spiritually. All these things come out of what he's already done and what enjoyment and what relationship we have with God already. So that is what it means to feast on God. Now, second part, inviting others to the feast, we are commissioned. Imagine you love this restaurant. I'm going to keep going with these food um, analogies because it's great. Imagine you love this restaurant. You don't need somebody to, like, force you to tell other people about it. You take out your phone, you're like Insta story right away. You know, like you blast it for the whole world to see. This is an amazing place. You have to try it. Oh, my gosh, you're missing out if you've never got. We have no problem talking to other people about those things. If we follow a sports team, we're like, oh my gosh, like the, I don't know, I'm not really into sports, the Warriors, they're like amazing, like, man, this season, blah, blah, blah. I obviously don't know anything about sports, but, you know, when you love a sports team, you don't need somebody to be like, come on, can you talk to me about the Warriors again? Nobody has to, you know, force you to do that. You will, like, people will have to get you to shut up about it, right? When there's something that you have deep convictions about, nobody has to force you to talk To them about it. You're like, you're coming with me to watch the game. You're coming with me to try this food. And everything in you will just burst out and say, I have to invite others into this. It's the same thing with faith. Inviting others to the feast, it shouldn't feel like, ah, man, I guess I have to talk to somebody about Jesus this week. Like, it shouldn't have to, it shouldn't have to be that way. It shouldn't have to be like, ah, I guess I have to, you know, whatever, like, oh, this person that might benefit from coming out to church. It shouldn't have to be that way if god has truly done a profound and permanent work in our lives everything in you should be like just like i am like you have to try this place you have to come watch this game everything in you should be like you have to try god like you have to see what he's able to do in you are you hopeless are you as your marriage going through trouble you know are you facing workplace issues like you have to you have to come to god you have to try this everything in us will invite others to the feast So that's the second part. This is part of the joy that we get to partake in. We go out and we bring others to the same feast that we are partaking in. Now if we don't enjoy this feast, obviously there's going to be nothing, nothing in us that will want to bring others into it. But yes, we we feast on God, we invite others to the feast. And the third part, we are preparing for this end times feast. So did you know there's an actual feast that we're preparing for? That's according to Revelation There's an actual feast, an actual moment of coming home. And this topic, you know, of, you know, end times and, you know... Marriage, supper of the Lamb, and all these things, often it's shrouded in fear and suspicion and mystery. And sometimes we we kind of approach this with like, with like, oh, I don't know about all this stuff. I don't know about these, you know, living creatures and like, you know, beasts with how many ever many horns and trumpets and seals and all these things. It's just kind of like unapproachable to us. But let me challenge you with this, and this is very important. The good news of the gospel without the return of Christ is no good news at all. At best, it's a band-aid solution for the next 30 years that you get to live, next 40, 50 years that you get to live. That's at best. The good news of the gospel, without talking about the return of Christ, the ultimate defeat of sin and death and Satan, without talking about those things, the good news of the gospel doesn't have that good news potency. That's just... Well, I hope you live a good life for for the rest, you know, for however many years God allows you to live on this earth. And I hope your your relationships get better and I hope, you know, you feel like you're advancing in your career and you feel like you are, you know, stepping into your calling, all those things, but it's just a very temporary if anything, good news. But we're talking about the ultimate return of Jesus Christ, the ultimate defeat of sin and death, the ultimate reigning of God here on earth where God will wipe away every tear. There will be no more sin, there will be no more pain, no more death. We're talking about this ultimate day. This is my challenge to you. Whether you are familiar with this topic of end times or not, this is something that all of us as Christians are called to look forward to. It's not just for certain kind of Christians. It's not just, you know... For, you know, the person who talked the most about end times was Jesus. You know that, right? In the Bible, he wouldn't shut up about the end times. He was always talking about in the end times, in the end days, in the end time generation. He's always talking about this. So Jesus, out of everybody was the one who believed in it the most, we as Christ followers, Jesus followers, should also, you know, at least open our hearts to this idea that there's going to be a day where there's sin no more, there's pain no more, where these earthly bodies... They're going to fade away and we're going to get glorified bodies where we get to rule and reign with Christ. We get to intimately commune with God, not in a far-off way where God is out there somewhere, but we God gets to walk this earth with man once again. We're back to Genesis 1, 2, 3, where he walked in the cool of the day with man. We're going to be back in communion with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. This is what we as Christians, this is the end times hope that we have. This is the reason why we do what we do. We're ultimately called to prepare the way for his return. There's an end times family feast that is expressed in Revelation 19.7 where all of history is culminating towards this wedding supper of the Lamb. And there's a sense of urgency and purpose to how we live. There's a sense of deliberation in how we conduct our lives there's a call for us to be prepared and waiting with lamps filled with oil like the wise virgins called to steward the talents that have been given to us that we'll have to bear account on that day this is all part of what it means to walk with the lord so this is our calling and this is our vision and this is our purpose as a church the great commandment love god love one another the Great Commission, invite others to this feast, and the Great Return. This is what we're all looking forward to, and all of history is going to culminate in this. Our calling as a church is to feast on God together, to invite others to the feast, and to prepare and look forward to to set our hopes on this end times feast. We are calling all to the feast, all who will have ears to hear, all who are desperate to find a hope and a future, all who are poor in spirit, all who find themselves bankrupt in their sins and their addictions, all who have lost the joy of living with the Father, all who have reached the end of their rope and don't know where to turn to. And this is a call for all of us, whether we've lived a life of rebellion like the younger son or religion like the elder son. We are all called to prepare for this feast. This should bring us all to our knees in humility and thanksgiving. This is something that we did not earn in any way. We did not deserve in any way. And God is so freely given. That is the gospel. It should liberate us of our arrogance, our self-dependency, our comparison. It should free us from all those things. It should Help us let go of all the small ways in which we try to save our own selves, all the small ways in which we try to justify ourselves, all the ways that we try to fix and cleanse ourselves outside of the gospel, to free us from all that and call us and lead us into gospel freedom, to come into the kingdom of heaven as a child, empty-handed, to receive the goodness of a generous father. So I don't know if you guys do this here, but I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. Do you guys do that here? Yes? Okay, cool. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. I want to lead us into just a time of reflection and prayer for today. I know I can, you know, I can say all these things, but really there's not going to be, you know, any transformation unless the Holy Spirit is behind it, unless God is speaking to you, unless His Word is... Cleansing and transforming you today. And so, I'm just gonna ask, you know, the praise team to just, you know, play for us. And I'm gonna invite all of us in the room, if you're able to, to so just close your eyes. Close your eyes for a few minutes. And we're gonna have a time to come before the Lord. I'm gonna lead us through a few questions that I want you to bring before God. And just simply ask him to search your heart, to highlight maybe different areas that we need to invite him into. Ask the Holy Spirit to give us a renewed heart and to bring gospel transformation. So my first question for us today is, have I been feasting on God? Have I been feasting on God? Or have I lost all enjoyment? Have I lost all sense of wonder? Have I lost all sense of closeness, of fascination? Do I need a new revelation of who he is? Do I need to make space to hear his voice again? Do I need a fresh encounter with his word again? Have I been feasting on God or am I missing out on something? Have you been feeling dry? This means you. If you've been feeling like all of this is overly familiar, all of this is routine, this means you. This is an invitation that the Holy Spirit has for you today to fix your eyes on God, His goodness, His grace, His compassion, His patience, His justice his glory to fix your eyes on him and to allow your heart to feast on who he is my second question for us today is have I been inviting others into the feast doesn't need to be a pressure or an obligation or a forced action it can actually come very naturally naturally Have I been doing that? Or when it comes to praying for others, do we hesitate? When it comes to talking to people about what we do on the weekend, do we hesitate? When it comes to talking with people who are struggling, we know that what they need is prayer and community and the gospel, and we're hesitating. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today. Maybe the Holy Spirit is highlighting to you someone you need to reach out to in the love of Christ. Maybe God is speaking to you today about someone who's struggling with depression, struggling with loneliness, struggling with hopelessness. And what they need is not a quick fix. They need somebody to embody the love of Christ and be there for them at this time. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about inviting others into this feast today. My last question for us today is am I only living for this life these 80 or 90 years here on earth or do I have a vision for this ultimate feast upon Jesus' return? am I filling my lamp with oil am I stewarding the talents that my master has given me that I will bear account to upon his return am I looking forward to something that is not of this world that is not even in this lifetime but something that is greater am I preparing myself and those around me for this end times feast. I'm just going to pray for us today. Father, we say that we hear your invitation and your call to us today. We hear the invitation to come and feast. We hear the invitation to come and share. We hear the invitation to come and prepare. We hear this invitation from the Father today. I pray, God, that if we've been feeling far from you, if we've been needing breakthrough, if there's been disappointment or disillusionment or hurt that has kept us from you God that you would open up our hearts to you once again we don't want to live far off from the Father we don't want to harden our hearts before you God would you do a new work in us would you do something fresh in us if we haven't heard your voice in a long time God would you speak to us would you open up our ears that we would hear your voice if we haven't felt you for a long time God would you soften our hearts would you help us feel if we've been suspicious of who you are if we've been secretly resentful If we've been comparing, if we've been jealous, if we've been fearful and anxious, God, would you free us from these things as we fix our eyes on the only one who's worthy, on the only one who's faithful, the only one who's true, the only one who's holy. And would you remind us once again, God, of who you are and the life that you called us to live. And we know none of this is easy because we need the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit to uproot these things from our hearts. We need the Holy Spirit to shine His light on different blind spots that we have. We need the Holy Spirit to do in us the transformation, God, that we cannot do in our own, with our own strategies and with our own efforts. We need the Holy Spirit to do this gospel work gospel transformation in our lives would you renew our minds would you restore our hearts would you lead us into a life that is worthy of the calling that you've set before us God may none of this go to waste may all of this be unto your glory and may we at the end of our lives be able to look at you without any regrets in our hearts and know God that we've given it all that we've followed you to the end that we've been faithful to you as you've been faithful to us and that it was a life well spent. Would you lead us in that way? We thank you God for the work that you're doing in us today. Maybe we don't feel it right away. Maybe it'll take days or weeks or years for us to see the fruit but we ask God that your word would be rooted in our hearts and that it would bear fruit in due season would you do that in us God we love you we praise you you pray all these things in Jesus name amen